Remember the Alamo. <laughs> okay, come on. Come on. Well, if Brother Lester were here, this is what we'd sing. Here we go. You better be ready. I care not today what tomorrow may bring. My blessed Lord ruleth for everything, and all of my worry is vain. Living by faith, living by faith in Jesus above, trusting and fighting in His great love. Let's hear you. From all I'm saved, it is sheltering us, living by faith and feel all Thank you. Be seated, please. Thank you. Brother Ed Wolber, going to come. My favorite man gospel singer and my friend.
church, been a deacon here for many years, I used to wonder when I hear him saying, why doesn't that fellow do it all the time? And just in recent years, God spoke to his heart, now he travels the country singing. He's sung in many of the great churches and Christian schools around the country. Fellows, I'm going to, before I introduce the next speaker, we're going to have a little something special on the platform. I want you guys, some of you guys, to move this, this pulpit, if you would. I don't know where to tell you to move it. Um... Move it over here in front of Brother Elmer. Maybe Brother Elmer can find another place to sit. Just put it on my back, would you please, fellas? We did it. Thank you, fellas. Just have a seat, fellas. If you can't figure it out, I'll help you. The fridge here is a little bit dumb. He's uh, he's cute, but he's dumb. Well, we've heard we've heard about America by music. We've honored three heroes of our freedom, and now a delightful surprise: one who travels the country trying to help save this nation. Dr. Tim Lee. his life story. I mean, brother, you don't have to have to wonder what he gave for us. There it is right there. There it is. I mean, that's it right there. You see it. And we thank God he's here. I'm looking forward to this. I know you are. Brother Lee, thank you. Thank you, Brother Howe. Thank you. Thank you. Please be seated. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Dr. Howe. What a joy it is to be in pastor school. I've been back listening to everything and watching everything on the monitor, and it seems like we're just having an old-fashioned camp meeting here is what it sounds like. All of that good singing and all the things that has happened thus far, 
doesn't light your fire, then your wood is wet. Amen. <laughs> if you don't love America, you're in the wrong place tonight. If you don't love America, I double dog dare you to stand up and say so. be a lynch mob would take care of business. God's been in America's history ever since the beginning of this country. It's no accident that we're here tonight. It's no accident that America's here. God's had her hand in America's history ever since the beginning of this country. You'll listen to the liberals, you'll listen to the modernists, you'll listen to the left-wing element of this country and they would have you and I to believe that we're something new in America. We're not the new right, it's the new left. We've been here ever since the beginning of this country. You go back in America's history beyond the Constitutional Convention, beyond the Declaration of Independence, beyond the Pilgrims and the Puritans coming to this country. You go back nearly 500 years to the days of Christopher Columbus. It's no accident that Columbus came to this part of the world. Columbus wrote a book, the only book that he ever wrote. The copy of that book, the title of it is called The Book of Prophecy. There's a copy of that book in the British Museum. And in that book, Christopher Columbus tells about the divine guidance that God gave him to come to this part of the world. I want to give to you tonight very quickly before I give my testimony, his own personal testimony. And here it is in the English translation. Christopher Columbus, I am a most unworthy sinner. But I cried out to the Lord for grace and mercy, and they have covered me completely. I have found the sweetest consolation since I may grace my Savior and enjoy His marvelous presence. What a testimony. Would to God we had some people in Washington, D.C. with that kind of testimony. The scholars and the educators and the scientists of Columbus Day believed that the earth was flat. But Columbus didn't believe that. Listen to what he said concerning his discovery. He said, It was the Lord who put in my mind to sail from Spain to the Indies. I could feel his hand upon me. All who heard my project rejected it with laughter and ridicule against me. There is no question that my inspiration to sail came from the Holy Ghost of God because he comforted me with a ray of illumination from the Holy Scriptures encouraging me to sail on till I found the country. There's God in America's history. You'll say, what's so unusual about that? Most of the scholars, the educators, the scientists of his day believed the earth was flat. They believed you went out in a ship in the ocean far enough, pretty soon you would drop off the end. But for some reason, Columbus didn't believe that. The reason that he didn't believe it was because he was a Bible student. And the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, and verse number 22, that the earth is a circle. And if the scholars and the educators and the scientists of Columbus Day would have read the Bible and believed the Bible, they would have saved themselves a lot of ignorance. And if the scholars and the educators and the scientists of our day would read the Bible and believe the Bible, they too would save themselves a lot of ignorance. The great debate in our society is the debate of evolution. Where did man come from? 
The reason that man does not want to accept the Genesis account of creation because he has to recognize that there's a supreme being. If he recognizes there's a supreme being, he must recognize that he has to answer to that supreme being. So thus we have the religion of humanism in our public schools and in our society today. Man does not need a supreme being. Man can better himself. That's false. The Bible says that we'll wax worse and worse. We're not getting better, we're getting worse. Where did man come from? They tried to tell us that man came from a lower form of life. That man has evolved over a process of millions and millions and millions of years. One scientist in Time magazine has said he believed the earth was approximately 15 billion years old. Two paragraphs down, one of his colleagues, another scientist, said he believed the earth was 7 billion years old. Well, what's the difference, give or take a few billion years? <laughs> Their creed is this. This is what they want you and I to believe. I was a tadpole when I began to begin. Next, I was a frog with my tail tucked in. Then I was a monkey in a coconut tree, and now I'm a man with a Ph.D. That's their creed. I choose to believe the Word of God. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God. You say, where did God come from? Anywhere He wanted to, He's God. God created everything that was created. Without Him was nothing created. He said, let us make man in our own image. Took out the dust of the earth, made man, breathed in his nostrils, and man became a living soul. I believe that. So it was not good for man to be alone. Took a rib from Adam's side and made the woman. I believe that. The lady one time asked me, said, why didn't God make the woman first? I told her it's because he didn't want any advice on how to make the man. She got a little upset, and she got a little bit bent out of shape, and she said, Buster, where do you men think you'd be at if it wasn't for us women? I told her we'd be back in the Garden of Eden, amen? (laughs) But in all seriousness, the Bible is the Word of God. When a nation sets this book upon a shelf, when a nation refuses to accept it as the final authority then that nation ceases to become great and that nation is headed for a fall. In America today, we've got people trying to kick God out of everything. They want God out of our schools. They want God out of government. They want God out of society. If that's the kind of nation that they want to live in, let them go to Russia. Not in America. Not in America. This country was built upon biblical principles. You heard these college students tonight sing concerning that Declaration of Independence. And those 56 brave men who signed their name to that declaration, there was not a coward there. There was not a draft dodger amongst them. They signed their lives, their fortunes, their sacred honor, and all that they had for that Declaration of Independence. Yet in America, we have people today, even in our government, trying to sell this country down the tube. Ripping her apart piece by piece and seam by seam trying to sell her out to the enemy. I say that it's high time that God's people stood up on their hind legs and let that crowd know that this is our country and we're not going to let her be sold out to the enemy. Well, you say, what about the matter of separation of church and state? Well, since you brought it up, let's talk about it. 
I wouldn't be preaching all this if these singers while I go hadn't got me so fired up. I was... I was... I was sitting back there listening to them. I wanted to go to Iran and grab Kamini by the beard and shake the fire out of him. Who told you that there was such a thing as separation of church and state? You didn't read that in the Constitution. You heard that on the Walter Concrete Report, but you didn't read that in the Constitution. First Amendment, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion, nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. It doesn't say a thing about you and I getting involved in government. It just says the government should not get involved in the business of the church. When I became a Christian, I did not give up my citizenship as an American. And I'm an American, and I don't make any apologies for it. I'm sick and tired of this country making heroes out of the Jane Fondas and the Andrew Davis and the Tom Haynes and the Jerry Brown. Jane Fonda in World War I and World War II would have been declared a traitor. We'd bring her back to Hollywood and make a movie star out of her. You say, well, what would you have done if you'd have been in charge of the Vietnam War? I'd have loaded me down every B-52 bomber I could have got. Every F-4 Phantom plane I could have found, I'd have lowered those bombs on Hanoi and Jane Fonda, and South Vietnam would still be a free country. There are some things that are worth living for. There are some things worth fighting for. And if needs be, there are some things worth dying for. A few weeks ago, University of Oklahoma had the audacity to invite Angela Davis to come and speak on the campus. Paid her to the tune of $3,600 to do it, taxpayers' money. That's right in my back door. I decided somebody ought to do something about it. Now, if you sit around waiting for the ministerial assassination or association to do something about it, you're going to be waiting for a long time. When something needs to be done, you might as well just buckle your seatbelt and take care of it yourself. So we went to the University of Oklahoma. And they asked me, they said, don't you think she ought to have her freedom? I said, if she wants to speak at the university, go let her go to the University of Moscow, not the University of Oklahoma. I didn't give my legs 10,000 miles away from home in Vietnam so that a communist agitator can come to our college campuses and push the communist Marxist philosophy down the throats of our young people. I've got a heap more preaching to do, and you keep doing that, I'm going to run out of preaching time. In America, we've allowed the homosexuals to take over, the pornographers to take over, the women's livers to take over, the abortionists to take over. 
Maybe this country was not built upon that kind of individuals and that country was not built upon, this country was not built upon that kind of philosophy, but rather it was built upon the principles of God's Word. We need to return America to its rightful position. America. Got a lot of problems. Got a lot of faults. She's still the greatest nation on the face of the earth. I've traveled to countries so far off. I've found none to compare with her. I thank God for heritage. I thank God for history. But friend, America must come back to God. Judgment days are coming. The only hope for America, listen carefully, the hope for America is not in the White House. The hope for America is not in the Supreme Court. I certainly think we ought to be concerned about who's sitting on the Supreme Court. Some of them fellows don't hurry up and resign. I'm going to start praying for the Lord to move them out of the way. But and the hope for America is not in the Congress, although I think we as good American citizens ought to be concerned about that. The hope for America is with God's people. God said, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, pray, seek my face. We don't mind those first three things being preached. It's that fourth one that bothers us a little bit. And turn from their wicked ways. Who turn from whose wicked ways? The drunkard? No. The prostitute? No. The dope addict? No. If God's people would turn from their wicked ways. You say, well, Brother Tim, I'll stand when the enemy comes. Not if you won't stand now. These preachers up here and Brother Cameron up here begging for help and begging for assistance, pleading for someone to help them out. I think it's a crying shame that the young people of the Roloff's homes are in exile and stayed away from home and in Kansas City. They came to our services here a few weeks ago and neighbor, it's a crying shame in America. That's not Russia. It's not China. It's not Cuba. It's not Afghanistan. It's not Nicaragua. It's right here in the United States of America. God help us to wake up. God help us to start preaching. God help us to get involved. You say, well, preacher, you won't be very popular. We're not in a popularity contest tonight. It matters not what the world thinks about us. All that matters is what God thinks about us. God help us to wake up. I was raised in a preacher's home. My father's been a Baptist preacher for the past 37 years. Preaching the Bible, God's Word. I was raised in a godly home. My mother, godly Christian woman. We went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Every time the doors were open, we went to the house of God. When I was 10 years old in the North City Baptist Church in North City, Illinois, Sunday morning, sitting on the second row on the right-hand side, I heard Dad preach. As Daddy preached that morning, I got a new conviction. I realized that I was lost. And I knew that if I died in the condition that I was in, that I was going to go to hell. All I could see during the entire service was hell. When the invitation was given, again, all I could see was hell. Somebody said you ought not get saved just to stay out of hell, but that's not a bad reason to get saved. I left my seat that morning when full of that invitation, knelt at an old-fashioned altar, repented of my sins, received Christ as my Savior, and I got born into the family of God. I believe perhaps the most marvelous thing about salvation is that it's forever. I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for salvation that you could have one day and lose the next day. This damnable doctrine that so many are teaching that you can be saved one day and lose it the next day is not found in the Word of God. 
When God does something, He does it right. God doesn't save you and then put you on a limb somewhere and tell you to make it if you can. Paul said in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. When's the day of redemption? That's when Jesus is coming back for all the redeemed. When you got saved, God sealed you with the Holy Spirit of God, and nothing can break that seal. Paul said in the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 38, He said, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That means I'm saved tonight and the devil himself cannot get me unsaved. That means I'm saved tonight and all the demons in hell cannot get me unsaved. That means I'm saved tonight and the world cannot get me unsaved. I'm so saved tonight that you cannot get me unsaved. And I'm so saved tonight I can't even get myself unsaved. I'm so saved it's just plumb pitiful. Amen. And then people of the world wonder what we as Christians have to get excited about. Well, nothing except that we've passed from death unto life. Off of our road to hell and on our road to heaven, neighbor, if anybody on the face of the earth ought to be excited, it ought to be God's people. We have eternal, everlasting life. Well, you say, I just don't believe in showing off my religion. I wouldn't either if I didn't have any. Amen. You go to a ball game and yell like a Comanche and then go to church and sit like a wooden Indian. Maybe God's people ought to be excited. We have eternal, everlasting life. I lived for the Lord for some time, was excited about it, told my friends and my relatives. But when I became a teenager, something happened in my life. It never happened overnight, but gradually I began to put other things before the Lord. I was sports-minded. I played football, basketball, baseball. I ran track and field. Dad told me, he said, son, there's nothing wrong with you playing ball unless you put it before God and then it's wrong. I didn't want to listen to that and little by little I began to rebel. When I did, I began to have problems. I began to have problems at school. I began to have problems at home. I began to have problems in my life. You say, what did your parents do when you rebelled? Mom and Dad had never read any Dr. Spock's books on child psychology. Dr. Spock believes if a child is frustrated, whatever it takes to get the frustration out, let him do it. If he wants to pick up a rock and throw it through the window, if that'll help him get his frustration out, let him throw the rock through the window. But my daddy had other ways of getting that frustration out. We lived out on a farmhouse, and back behind the farmhouse is an old smokehouse. And over the side of the smokehouse, about 30 feet, was an old willow tree. I don't know whether you know what willow trees are good for or not, but... You don't get any fruit off willow trees. <laughs> willow trees about the worst shade tree in the world. Only thing a willow tree is good for is getting switches off of. That the only praying I did back in those days was for that willow tree to die, and that thing never did die. <laughs> I'd have to go out and get my own switch and bring it back. I'd be hurting before I got back because I knew what was about to happen. And mom and dad, they, they would always talk to us kids before they dismiss and. They'd say something like this. They'd say, now, son, it's going to hurt me a whole lot worse than it's going to hurt you. I thought, isn't that dumb? If you give me that switch, I'll show you it's going to hurt the worst. <laughs> I said many times I was happy to serve under the stars and the stripes. My daddy furnished the stripes and I saw the stars. <laughs> and that's the way it was. And they believed in old-fashioned discipline. 
I attended a public school. Most of my friends were not saved. Most of their parents were not saved. Many times I slipped out behind my parents' back to do what I wanted to do. My junior year in high school, I set two track records. One the long jump, one the high hurdles. Begin to get my name in the newspaper, winning ribbons and trophies and medals. But all the time, getting further and further and further away from God. The Bible says in the book of the Revelation, chapter 3 and verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. I saw five of my high school friends killed in car wrecks. Every time I'd see one of them in a casket, I knew it could have very easily been me. God was speaking to my heart, and I knew that I ought to get right with God, but I wouldn't do it. Daddy would preach messages, and God would speak to my heart, have evangelists in, and I knew it was me that ought to get right, but I wouldn't do it. And I continued to rebel, running from the Lord. I graduated from high school, started going to college in the day, working nights in the meantime, living like the devil. My life became one shambles after another. Wasn't long till I got fired from my job. A little while after that, I got kicked out of school. Nowhere to go and nothing to do, and my life full of confusion. One day I was walking down the street in my hometown, McLeansboro, Illinois. I went by the post office, and I saw this sign. I'd seen it on other occasions before, but never caught my eye quite like it did that day. Young man in a sharp-looking uniform, and up the top of the sign, it said the Marines are looking for a few good men. I didn't know who the rest of them were, but I figured I was one, so I went in the recruiter's office, and... I joined the United States Marine Corps. Now, young people, to be quite frank with you, I was tired of living at home. I wanted to change. I wanted something different. I was tired of being told what time to go to bed and what time to get out of bed. And... <laughs> I was tired of being told how to get my hair cut. And I was just tired of being told what I could do and what I could not do. So I joined the Marine Corps. That wasn't the smartest thing I ever did. They put me on a Greyhound bus, sent me to Paris Island, South Carolina. I got off that bus, stepped down those yellow footprints. I met that fellow they called drill instructor. I was there less than 24 hours when I decided I didn't like him and he didn't like me. Do you know the real reason why I didn't like him? He was an authority. And I didn't like authority. You know, that's the same reason a lot of people don't like an old-fashioned preacher that tells it like it is. They'd rather have someone pat them on the back and tickle the ear and make them feel good. But friend, that's not God's way. I'm totally convinced that the greatest need that we have at this hour in America is for a generation of preachers to get in the pulpits of this country, preach God's Word the way it is to people the way they are without apology and without fear and without favor of mankind. That is the only kind of preaching that's ever produced revival. And that's the only kind of preaching that'll produce revival in our day. I laid awake nights, many nights, between 3.05, thinking about my life. Thinking about my friends back home. The kind of friends I had when the money was gone and the booze was gone, the good times were gone, the friends were gone too. They weren't my friends. I thought about all the shame and disgrace that I'd brought to my dad's ministry. My attitude began to change in boot camp. The Marines had some things to help it change. I began to do better. I graduated from boot camp to meritorious promotion. I went to ITR, then to engineering school, Camp Lejeune. Graduated from engineering school with another meritorious promotion. Everything was going great. And then I received my orders that I was to go to Southeast Asia to Vietnam. I had three weeks leave. I went home to Illinois and spent those three weeks with mom and dad. On Sunday before I was to leave on Monday, I went to church with my parents. And that service that day, I thought that I'd made things right with God. Mom and dad took me to St. Louis the next day. I got on that plane, that big jet, no more got off the runway. And I told God I couldn't do it. Those men were Marines. I was afraid they'd laugh at me. I was afraid they'd make fun of me. I went to Vietnam, was there for nine months. 
I didn't go back to doing a lot of the things I did before. But friend, listen. If you're not for the Lord, you're against Him. You hurt the cause of Christ. I had opportunity after opportunity to live for God. But I wouldn't do it. My mother sent me a Bible. And inside that Bible, she wrote these words. Son, this Bible can keep you from sin. Or sin can keep you from this Bible. I put it in the bottom of a footlock. I wouldn't read it. I wouldn't pray. I wouldn't witness. There was another man in my squad by the name of Corporal Lee Gore. Gore was saved and not ashamed of it. He was a black Marine. Many times I'd seen him sit on the edge of his bed, read his rack, uh, on the edge of his rack, read his Bible, I'd seen him pray, I'd seen him put his arm around other Marines and talk to him about the Lord. And I knew that that was the kind of testimony that I was supposed to have. I knew that was the way I was supposed to live and what God expected out of my life. But I wouldn't do it. I had 30 days left in Vietnam. Top sergeant called me in and offered me a desk job. A desk job simply meant that I wouldn't have to go back out to the field anymore. That was where the danger was at. For some reason, I told my top that I'd rather spend the rest of my time with my men. I was told to take them on a minesweep. I've been on many minesweeps before. The only particular thing different about this one was that most of my men were new in Vietnam. The only trend that most of them had on a minesweep was what they'd gotten back in the States. And that was considerably different than walking an actual minesweep. I got my men together early that morning, March the 8th, 1971. Fifteen years ago. I got my men together and um, we normally would walk, I would normally walk in the back of the formation with the lieutenant and the corpsman. That morning, because most of them were new, I told them that I would walk point man. Point man was the very first man in the squad. There'd be 15, 20 meters and another marine, 15, 20 meters and another marine, and we'd be staggered out in that type of formation. Not trying to be a hero or anything of that nature, simply wanted to show my men how to walk point man. Our job is to locate landmines, booby traps, punji pits, rounds that had not yet been detonated, and clear the air of those devices. We walked that morning without any problems. Found a couple of rounds, we detonated them. Stopped at noon I to eat our sea rations. While I was eating, my friend, Corporal Gore, came and asked me if I'd like for him to take over as point man. Gore could have very easily did it. He was as well trained, as well equipped as I was. Him and I flew to Vietnam on the same plane. But for some reason, I told him that I would finish out the day, and then on tomorrow... He could show the new men how to do it. We picked up where we'd left off from. Forty-five minutes later, I stepped on a landmine. It blew me in the air. I was unconscious for just a few moments. I realized that I had been hit. I didn't know how serious it was, although I was in a great amount of pain. There was a lot of confusion and commotion around us. I looked up in the midst of all my herd, in the midst of all the confusion. My head was laying in the lap of that black Marine, Lee Gore. Gore wasn't cussing the hippies back home or the president or the communists or the Vietnamese or no one else. He was doing like I'd seen him do on other occasions. Tears running down his face. He was praying and asking God to help me. I'll never forget it as long as I live. I can remember as though it happened just a few moments ago. That day in Vietnam. A little after 1.30 in the afternoon, Quang Nam province. I looked up and I told God that if he'd let me live, get back home to my parents, that I'd do what he wanted me to do. I'd told the Lord that before, but I never meant it. Quite like a minute that day. They came with a helicopter carrying me to the hospital ship, USS Sanctuary. Second day I was on that ship, two naval doctors gave up hope. Infections set in, run a high degree temperature. A lot of complications they'd never expected me to live. I lay on that ship two weeks, unconscious most of the time. They took me to the island of Guam, Naval Hospital, where I spent the next two weeks. I weighed 187 pounds before I was hit. The island of Guam, I weighed a little less than 80 pounds. During that four-week period, Mom and Dad received over 30 telegrams and personal visits from the Marine Corps. And from a human standpoint, from all that they'd been told, they never expected to see the oldest son alive again. They brought me back to the States, the Philadelphia Naval Hospital, where I spent the next eight and a half months 
13 major operations. The doctors put their knives away when all the surgery was finished. Had three inches left on my right leg, 11 inches left on my left leg, but no other part of my body was hurt at all. You say, that's just a coincidence. I remind you tonight that there are no coincidences with God. There are no accidents with God. God was not asleep March the 8th, 1971. You see, friend, I was saved. I was his child. I belonged to the Lord. Dad told me many times, son, those eyes are not your eyes. Those hands are not your hands. Those feet are not your feet. You belong to God. You've been bought with a price. I didn't want to listen to that. And I made up my mind that I could live my life the way that I wanted to. And I ran, and I ran, and I ran from God. March the 8th, 1971. One thirty in the afternoon, my running was over with. I came home from the hospital, went to my dad's church, made things right there. I met Connie. We fell in love with each other. We're soon married. A little while after that, God called me to preach. Friends and relatives alike tried to discourage me. They said it'd be so difficult, it'd be so hard. But I said, if that's what God wants me to do, then that's what I'll do. I pastored for five years in southern Illinois. And then a little over eight years ago, Went into evangelism. I'm preaching to every state in the Union, several foreign countries besides, preaching God's Word. There's a verse in the book of Job, chapter 5 and verse 17, that goes like this. Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. I told a reporter just a few weeks ago that the last 15 years of my life have been the happiest. He said, but you're in a wheelchair. I said, yes, but I'm in the will of God. And that makes all the difference in the world. You're here tonight. And you've been saved, but you're not living for God. Your life's not counting for the cause of Christ. I plead with you, don't leave this pastor's school in that condition. You're here tonight and you're about ready to quit on God. You're discouraged. You're about ready to throw in the towel. I plead with you tonight, don't leave here in that condition. You say, well, Brother Tim, I've been saved a long time and I've been living like the devil and God hasn't never chastened me. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, that if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. That simply means that you're a counterfeit. That simply means that you're an imitator. That simply means that you never was saved to start with. You need to get born into the family of God. I plead with you tonight, let the testimony of someone that has already been there Without the two legs that I had for 20 years of my life, let it be a warning tonight. Stay in the will of God. Do what God's called you to do. And don't waver from it. Stay where God wants you to stay. God bless you. Dr. House. I have somebody else I want you to meet. I want you to meet tonight Lee Gore, the fellow who prayed over the body of our brother. This is the black man he mentioned a while ago. I want you to meet him tonight. He's with us.
very good at this. I feel so good inside tonight. To know that I had influence. Tim Lee the way I did. Thank God. All I can just say, thank God. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above. From the mountain to the prairie. To the ocean, white with foam, God bless America, my home, sweet home. God bless America, my home, sweet Is your wife here? I have one more person I want you to meet, Mrs. Tim Lee. Mrs. Lee, where are you? Thank you very much. And it's a joy to have this, all three of them with us tonight. I hope you know Tim Lee. He is going across this country doing as much as anybody I know to save the old ship. Conducting revival meetings and patriotic rallies. Stands as firm and as solid as a man can stand. I mean, he's just as solid as a come. He's against what we're against and for what we're for. And faithful to the truth. We thank God for him. Now, we owe him a debt. I uh, I don't know exactly how to do this, but we're going to have an offering for him tonight. <laughs> and after that, we're going to take one for me. <laughs> but uh, we're going to have an offering. And here's what I want you to do. I, I guess the plates are, are, are in the safe somewhere. I want you just to just take a few dollars and, and, uh, and, well, good night, just to say thank you. Look, I don't see any legs there. I mean, we owe him a debt. And somehow we ought to pay it. And uh, tonight, let's do it. I hope you will. Just, uh, if you want to write a check, write to First Baptist Church. And uh, we'll make all make it all one big check. But I want you to do it. We're not going to take an offering tomorrow night unless I decide to. No, there won't be, there won't be an offering tomorrow night, I promise you. We, God knows we need it. We lost last year $35,000 in pastor school. Besides $9,000 and folks didn't pay their bills for the tapes. But uh, but well, we would just have to, to lose it again. I was going to take an offering. The ushers are all cared for. Take a big offering for pastor school tomorrow night. Take whatever you, you, you would have given then, and let's just say thank you. Just pass it toward the aisle. Just t- take the money and pass it toward the aisle. Ushers, you come down to the end of the aisle, get it in your hands or something. Just don't get it in your pocket, that's all. Uh-huh. They have the plates? Oh, good. Have a seat then. They got the plates. Good. Wonderful. I'm not going to take an offering tomorrow night because I can't afford another offering tomorrow night.
Let's have... Oh, you got a plate up here? One of you guys come up here to the... You got one? What? What do you say? Oh, is it a song? Oh, I see. You know, one ex-paratrooper can lick five ex-marines. There's no such thing as an ex-marine. There's a lot of ex-paratroopers. No such thing. <laughs> Boy, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> Do we have an offering up here? We need an offering plate up here, fellas. We got one lady in the choir. She's got a nickel. We need to. Be... <laughs> well, I don't guess we do need an offering plate up here either, do we? Say a word. Let's let's have Mrs. Lee say a word to us. We want to hear how you talk. Come on. I'm not very good at speaking. My husband does all the speaking, but I'm thankful to be here. And I'm thankful that the Lord gave me a husband that loves the Lord and wants to serve God. And I want you to pray for us in our ministry. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, fellas. Miss McKinney, I guess you better help them. All right. Thank you. It's been a wonderful night. And we'll never forget it. Um, oh, you want us to uh, back with Brothers Quartet? That's what you're asking for, isn't it? Shall we stand, please? Shall we stand? Tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock. Don't forget it. Might be a good idea, Brother Olson. Is he back there? Brother John Olson. Might be a good idea to help Brother Lee go ahead and and, and, and get away. Brother Lee, thank you, brother. Thank you. Oh, good. I'll get the Thank you very much. We'll sing, My Country Tis of Thee, and we'll close. My country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land thou God bless you. See you.